Hey everyone, my name is David Maldo and welcome to the Let's Do Video podcast. Today we're going to talk about business collaboration, motorcycles, and Van Halen. As you can imagine, end-user organizations often come to me asking advice about their collaboration and communications environment. And there's one common thread, one question that gets asked all the time. Should we go with a single vendor approach or should we go with best of breed? And over the years, my answers changed. While I always loved the idea of tailoring your solution to your environment, in the past, I used to recommend going with a single vendor. Let me give a typical example. An end user might have come to me, say this is about 10 years ago, and said we have some rad vision stuff, we like those new life-size high-definition endpoints, the new Polycom RMX bridge seems to be a workhorse, we also could use some of those Codian bridges to make calls a little easier, and we, of course, we need the Tamberg management system to tie it all together. Can we do that? And I would say, whew, it sounds like a dream, but it also sounds like a lot of headaches. I'd say, well, wait a minute, all this stuff is standards-based. Shouldn't it all work together? Well, there are standards and there are standards. Interop wasn't so good in, the, in those days. Not only that, some of the systems just didn't even support each other. The Tamberg management system didn't work with LifeSize. It was a competitive decision at the time. And even the things that were standards-based, well, SIP is a standard, H.264 is a standard, but there's a lot of flavors of SIP, there's a lot of flavors of H.264. Sometimes the call didn't work. For the first five years of my job in this industry, I was making test calls between these standard-based systems and making all these spreadsheets showing call failures. The calls just didn't work all the time, and it was troublesome. And I would recommend, look, if you want it to work, just get everything from the same vendor, and unfortunately, tell your team to kind of tailor their workflow to match with whatever solution you would get them. And when I say the calls didn't work, it was really frustrating to figure it out. I would make a call between endpoints from two different manufacturers, and I would call using a certain amount of bandwidth, and it would work perfectly. Make the call using a different amount of bandwidth, and then the screen share wouldn't work. Or maybe the audio wouldn't work. Or maybe the frame rate would be terrible. It was always something. Just interrupt wasn't there. Another advantage of going with single vendor is if you did have a problem, you knew who to complain to. The expression we used, and I don't like this expression, but it makes the point, you had one neck to choke. An example, if you were making a call between... I don't know, let's say life size and Polycom, and if it didn't work, back in the old days when I was at the test lab, well, my boss would say, hey, call our friends, those manufacturers, and find out what's going on. So I'd call Polycom, and I'd say what's going on, and they'd go, oh, well, our stuff works great. It must be a life size problem. Call my friends at life size, and say, no, we're using standards. It must be a Polycom problem. It was tough to get a resolution. And if I was an end user and really needed this for my business, I would have been in trouble. With a single vendor, if I'm going Polycom to Polycom, I would tell my friends at Polycom, hey, I found a problem with this call. And they would say, let us get back to you in 24 hours. They'd push out a release and it would get fixed. Single vendor was the way to go. The problem with single vendor is you were stuck with whatever they, they offered you. You weren't tailoring a solution to your needs. You weren't getting the features that you needed in every case. You were getting whatever they offered and you were trying to tell your people to change the way they worked to, to match the, the capabilities of that solution. And it never worked for us. That's part of why we had such a huge adoption problem in the old days of video conferencing. I've talked to end users, and they say that they don't use their video conferencing equipment, at least back then. The, what they would do with it is it was a great way to test if housekeeping was doing their job because the thing would get dusty from non-use. And if it wasn't dusty, good job housekeeping. That's not the ROI we want. Today, we're in a much better position. Today, we can use, well, 
I don't like to say best of breed because there is no best, but we can use the right solution for us. We can start by talking to our users and saying, what are you doing? What do you need? What features do you need? And then we can shop around from all the vendors and put things together and match the needs of our users. Then we'll get ROI. Then we won't have adoption problems. What made things so different? Well, interop got better. Standards got more standard. It works now. We have these great interop-based cloud solutions. If you're using a Blue Jeans or a Starleaf or a Univago, Videxio, or any solution using the Akano um, or Pexa bridges, it's going to work. You'll be able to connect your calls, even if you're using Skype for business. So we can use whatever we want. So now we're very fortunate. We can do things the right way. Instead of buying a solution from one vendor and telling our team to make it work for them, we can start by talking to our teams and saying, what are you trying to do? For everything, not just for video, for team messaging, for whiteboarding, for collaboration, for screen share, everything we need to do, shop around, find the solutions that work, pull it all together, and it's going to work for us. So what does this have to do with motorcycles? Well, it just, it occurred to me that there's an analogy to be made here. Back in the mid-90s, I owned a motorcycle. Yes, that's me. Uh, I'm still tempted to grow out the hair. And when I bought that motorcycle for $100 from a friend of mine, he said, you just threw away $100. It's never going to run again. It hasn't run in years. But I did a little research, figured out what to do, took it all apart. They said it was a carburetor, took off the gas tank, pulled off the air filters, took out the carburetor, pulled it all apart, put it back together, put it all back together, put in the key, and it didn't start. Went through it again, went through it again, third or fourth time, the thing started. And then I started rebuilding that motorcycle. I wanted to do it basically single vendor. I wanted to restore it to factory condition. I wanted it the way it came out of the shop in the first place. Well, with a 20-year-old motorcycle and not that popular of a model, it's hard to find original parts. And I soon learned that I had to tailor the motorcycle to me instead of changing the way I was doing things to make it the perfect motorcycle. And a, a really great story that kind of made that point Around that time, I read the, the book, uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, of course. And there's a, a, a short story within that book that really struck home. The narrator of, of the book had a friend with a very expensive, fancy German BMW motorcycle. And it had a rattle in it. And he told his friend, I can fix your bike. Great, please fix it for me. So he pulled it into his garage, and when his friend wasn't there, he cut a shim, a little piece of metal, out of a beer can and he stuffed that shim into the part that was rattling. And it fixed it, it was perfect. He gave it to his friend, his friend rode it around. Oh my God, you fixed my bike, you're amazing. Thank you so much, how did you do this? So he told him how he did it, and the friend freaked out. You put a piece of a beer can in my expensive German BMW motorcycle? Take it out right now, take it out right now. So he took it out, the rattle came back, and that's just the way he rode it. And the final comment was, if he had lied to his friend and said he had special ordered that shim from the BMW factory in Germany, the guy would have been perfectly happy. And that's how I was at first, and I realized how silly that was. And I realized there's nothing wrong with a beer can shim. There's nothing wrong with cobbling things together to meet your needs. And after that, I changed my approach to my motorcycle. I started doing whatever worked to make it work. And one final quick story, another analogy to bring the point home. I want to talk about Eddie Van Halen. Now, I went to high school in the late 80s. Yeah, I'm old. 
and Eddie Van Halen was the guitar god. I thought he was the greatest guitarist in the universe. And he has this iconic red, black, and white striped guitar. And I assume that the greatest guitarist in the universe had the greatest guitar in the universe. I thought it was hand-built by the best guitar manufacturer in the world, and it was made with perfect parts, and it was a $100,000 guitar. Recently, I did some research. I was very wrong. The famous Eddie Van Halen guitar, it's a garbage guitar. It's a garbage guitar. When he was a kid, he put it together himself out of junk parts. The body, he got out of a reject pile. It had a knot in the wood. It, was, it wasn't worth anything. He wanted, he liked the look of a Fender. This is the basic Fender shape. But he liked the sound of a Gibson, so he wanted to put the thing together. And the guitar is known as the Frankencaster because he put it together out of parts. So he got a neck from one guitar, that garbage body, put it together. He did the wiring himself, and he was a kid. He didn't know how to do the wiring. Some of the wires aren't even hooked up to anything. Most guitars have three knobs. He only did one because he couldn't figure out how to hook up the other two. He even, at one point, screwed a quarter into the guitar to try to get the bass to, to, to lay down flat. It is a complete hacked guitar, and it's the best coolest, most famous guitar in the world. And that changed the way I approached my guitar. This guitar, I wanted to keep it to factory specs. When I lost a part, I was very upset that I couldn't find the exact right part to, to replace it with. But then when I learned about the, the Frankencaster, well, Eddie can do whatever he wants to his guitar. I could do whatever I want to my guitar. So I decided to customize it. I, I did that doodle with a Sharpie marker. Never would have put a Sharpie marker on my guitar before, but you know what? I'm making it work for me, and I'm happier now. It works for me better. I love it. I'm making all kinds of changes. And if I can do that to my guitar, and if I could do that to my motorcycle, you can do that to your collaboration environment. Again, the end result is, do you want a factory spec, perfect solution that's going to look pretty in the meeting room and never get used? Or do you want to build it yourself? Do you want to hack it? Do you want to cobble it together and make it exactly what your team needs? It's your choice. Do you want the ROI or not? Hope you enjoyed this podcast. I had a lot of fun with this one. If you liked it, you could find more at letsdovideo.com.